Welcome to the Robert Financial Rocket Update. I said rocket. And you will want to go next to He's a, my daddy's a great investor. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bobby Hunt, for that great intro. It's always a delight to be brought onto the show by another Robert Hunt. What could be better? So in this week's show, we got a great show for you. A lot of Wall Street Journal, so buckle up. First article by Mr. Mark Holbert, the case against frequent rebalancing of portfolios. Who didn't want to be told to do nothing? Certainly, I'm one of them. A, a peculiar article that I thought could be instructive uh, for those of you who are doing private deals to be wary. JP Morgan, headline here, JP Morgan duped by business it bought, suit says. Uh, JP Morgan is suing a company that it bought for $175 million. And then, if you're a regular listener, you know this has been a long time coming. I've been preaching this sermon. People, get ready. International stocks are coming. A, this article says European stocks outshine U.S. peers by Caitlin McCabe. As you know, I've been hitting that gong for years and hadn't made any noise. And it's starting to make some noise. We'll revisit some of the reasons why I think it is critical for you, the investor, to have exposure to a global market and uh, see if I can convince you. So at the top, this case against frequent rebalancing of portfolios, let's talk about this because this is a bit of the zeitgeist in the investing world, particularly if you work with a financial advisor. Many of you work with me. Thank you for that. The sub-headline, investors are constantly told to rebalance on a regular schedule, but the numbers tell a different story. So rebalancing has been this supposed free lunch in the investing world forever. What does that mean? Well, Let's suppose you had a 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio, and anytime that got out of whack, you would rebalance, meaning you would either sell some stocks and buy some bonds, if maybe stocks got up, or you would sell some bonds and buy some stocks so that you'd have a smoother ride. The idea being, the idea being that you would be buying and selling at opportune times and that you wouldn't get out of whack with your portfolio. Well, there are various bets you're making when you do that. And one of the preconditions I always like to think about is, well, gosh, is, is this something I have to fix or is it optional? Because if it's optional, I don't want to ask my clients to do this and I certainly don't ask myself to do this. The fewer moving parts in any, any machine or any plan, the easier it is to execute. Just talk to people with BMWs or any other German-made car about their repair bill versus anyone else. For whatever reason, there's more going on. So if we can make our portfolios simple, like a simple car design, less things will break. It'll be easy for us to manage. That's what's at the core of this thing. So there are these various preconditions, yada, yada, yada. What was interesting to me is, okay, let's play devil's advocate because I, I love hearing you don't have to do anything. That's, you know, let's do less. Is, who doesn't want to hear that in investing? But there is a case, there is a case. I mean, what if you just never rebalanced? Like what, like, what if you, like, I'm, maybe you can rebalance once every five years, but what if you never did it? Well, there are extreme scenarios where if you simply held 60, 40, going back hundreds, of, uh, you know, a couple hundred years, yeah, in that scenario, you'd wind up with a 99% equity. So if you had a 60, 40 stock bond portfolio formed in 1793, 
Today, that portfolio would be 99% equities. Well, okay, yeah, you can balance at some point. That, that would be a, a little ridiculous, but not that much. So what, this, what these various studies said is, you know what, it doesn't really matter. You can do it, but they quote the late, great John Bogle, one of our North Stars, and they say this, though different studies covering different time periods and using different stock and bond measures have sometimes found that annual rebalancing slightly increases portfolio return. The late John Bogle, the legendary founder of Vanguard Group, classified the magnitude of these increases as noise. He says, rebalancing is a personal choice, not a choice that statistics can validate. Mr. Bogle once wrote in his Ask Jack blog, there's certainly nothing the matter with doing it, but also no reason to slavishly worry about it, he wrote. So I'm a believer as well. Sometimes when I'm talking with clients or even... Prospective clients, there's oftentimes a fascination with rebalancing. Like, wow, we need to rebalance here, look there. Of course it can matter over a decade period, maybe even over a five-year period. If you want to ensure your risk is moderated, you don't want to have a 99% equity portfolio in retirement in most instances. But every 12 months, nope. Every six months, certainly not. Every week, no, no, no. So just be willing to find a portfolio at 60-40. Keep it simple. Keep it long-term. Keep the cost low. If you've done that, you can kind of rumple still skin the deal. And oh, by the way, particularly in an individual retirement account or a 401k, as you, many of you are well aware, there are target date funds and uh, static funds that will rebalance for you. And that oftentimes is the answer to this, this age-old questions. There are one-stop shopping now with various Vanguard mutual funds and other, other fund families that um, just allow you to click a button and you're good to go. So... Do not, do not bother yourself unduly with trying to make these changes, and don't listen to folks who tell you you need to. And another article here by Melissa Korn and David Benoit. J.P. Morgan duped by business it bought suit says. J.P. Morgan is suing the leaders of college financial aid platform Frank, alleging they duped the bank. If you're able to dupe J.P. Morgan you're pretty good at fraud because J.P. Morgan, a big part of what it does is risk mitigation and fraud detection. Keep in mind, they didn't quite do everything they could have done with the Madoff deal. A lot of banks got caught because they didn't recognize fund flows and didn't monitor. But J.P. Morgan, if J.P. Morgan can get defrauded on a business deal, so can you, so can I. I'll give you a brief backstory here. Frank, I love these, these business names now. It's like Frank and Sally, and typically it's lenders trying to humanize themselves. But J.P. Morgan is suing the leaders of Frank, a financial aid business it bought for $175 million in 2021, alleging they duped the bank by making up millions of fake student accounts to show it had growing business. Bank filed a lawsuit in Del Delaware court. This was just bananas when I read this story. So basically what happened is uh, this, this person who... Charlie Javis and Olivier Amar. Um, Charlie Javis is a girl. Miss Javis approached J.P. Morgan in summer of 22 about an acquisition. She claimed Frank had 4.25 million users. And what does Frank do? It's a college aid platform that kind of helps do it in a cool way. Um, it's a fintech deal. So she claimed Frank had 4.25 million users. The company actually had fewer than 300,000 users. That's less than 10% of what they said they had. J. 
J.P. Morgan alleges that rather than reveal the truth, when J.P. Morgan asked for data, she said she couldn't share it because of privacy concerns. Um, and then she actually just made it all up. So she hired she hired an unnamed professor who was paid eighteen thousand dollars to computer generate information to show Frank's purported user base, including details like names, birthdays, and schools they attended. Suit alleged. And they have these various email exchanges. And this is where they figured out, can you imagine if you're JP Morgan right here? The bank said the fake, fake user scheme unraveled when it launched an email marketing campaign, messages to more than 70% of the addresses that were supposedly frank customers weren't successfully delivered. So can you imagine, you spend a bajillion dollars on this and, 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 and you, can't, you can't do this. Okay, and that $175 million paid and you got a bunch of fake email addresses. Why would this be pertinent for you, the listener? It's to give us a posture of humility with any private business deal we do. Many of you that I work with do private business deals. And one thing I will talk about a lot is that circle of competence that Mr. Warren Buffett always advises we operate within. It means we, we really know our stuff in a certain area. And so much so that we can sniff this out. Now, you could argue, J.P. Morgan, gosh, were they not in their circle of competence buying this fintech company? Well, I would argue that something, someone somewhere dropped the ball here. And if J.P. Morgan can do it, we can do it. So be reminded, investor, that anytime someone shows you any private deal with any sort of metrics, if you aren't familiar with that industry, it's going to be tough to know where the bodies are buried. It's going to be tough to know where the trap doors are. So in this instance, what could J.P. Morgan have done? Well, I guarantee you the next time they do this, they're going to maybe do a test run before they close on the email address list. Hey, let's just do a quick dry run. Let's just, and I bet if people, the folks who buy a ton of these type of companies who report to have these large lists, uh, they do stuff like that. And, and then part of this could just be fraud, but we should all know in any investing stuff like this can happen. So what I want to encourage you, investor, is that you, you don't have to do private deals. You don't have to. It could be a great thing for folks who really, kind of, I'll call it, earn the right to operate in those spaces and in those industries, whether it be real estate or oil and gas or fintech or anything else. But the grass is not greener. The grass is not greener. You, you can do an excellent job, be an excellent investor, a top 10, a top 5% investor relative to both individuals and institutional investors. Top 5% just by using index funds. You don't have to get knee deep into these fake email lists or anything else. There was a gentleman I follow on Twitter, a man named, I believe it was Brent Bishore. He had an interesting comment just about how if you gave someone a million dollars and you told them to you know, pick publicly traded securities, 10 of them, and try to lose all the money, in large companies, it'd be hard to do. They might even make money. That The market's that efficient. If you gave them $10 million and told them to buy private companies, they could lose it in two weeks. What was his point? There are a lot of protections. There's a lot of um, transparency. There's a lot of participants and players in the public equity marketplace. That's a protector for you. That, that's a protection. That means that, that means there are other people watching. When you, when you dip your toe into the private business sphere, 
there, there are untold trapdoors waiting for you where you can lose $175 million because this thing's a zero. J.P. Morgan bought this thing at zero. Maybe with a suit they get money back, but they Frank's a zero. There's nothing there. And J.P. Morgan's pretty good. I bet their due diligence team is pretty good. Wouldn't want to be in that meeting when they do the autopsy. I bet it was not an autopsy without blame. I bet some people got some blame on that deal. And our final article. Oh, it's been fun banging this gong. I keep, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the turn, and I think we might have it. Headline, European stocks outshine U.S. peers. Often considered laggards on the global market stage, stock indexes across the European region in recent months have outperformed. The turnabout underscores how drastically economic expectations have shifted regarding the continent. A little bit of background. So... For the last 17 years, the international stock investor has been besieged by endless data about the outperformance of U.S. stocks. And in so doing, over that time period, U.S. investors have slowly but surely jettisoned international holdings from the portfolio, much like Jonah was jettisoned from the boat when the storms came. Okay? They jettisoned Jonah because they knew that he was the reason for the storms. People are jettisoning international stocks because they see that they're a drag on the portfolio. But they need to be, they need to be brought back in, guys. It's, you, and here's why. These articles are going to start coming out if this continues. So European stocks have roared back to life, the article says, boosted by signs of slowing inflation, falling energy prices, and optimism around China's reopening. Wow. Uh, Germany's DAX and France's CAC have each risen 18% in the past three months, more than double the 8.5% gain for the S&P 500. The, the UK uh, benchmark FTSE 100 has also surged, putting it a little more than 2% away from reaching a record high. Whoa, right? Like, who saw that coming? Whew. So, this is this was always going to be the challenge. So there are there are investors, Warren Buffett and John Bogle included, who say you can do 100% domestic stocks, no problem. I would say they're pretty unique cats. They know how to invest pretty well, and they're able to stick with their plans pretty well. You and I probably don't have the mental fortitude and the stomach to do what they do to stick with these things. So when these articles start rolling out, and you have zero exposure to international stocks, I want to I want you to do a little heat check for yourself. How you feel? How do you feel? Your, you know, international stocks are 2x, what, more than 2x what the, um, you know, this is European stocks are 2x what the, what the U.S. stocks were in this recent time period. And who knows, it's a short-term, it's a short-term deal, but how do you feel? Are you still okay with no international exposure? Because, because there's, there's the dangerous thing. If you, so, if, if you wait, you say, oh, this is a fluke, and then you wait one year, two years, five years, all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're in the performance chasing game. Oh, I'll, I'll get into international stocks when they're good, and I'll sell U.S. stocks when they're not doing good. All of a sudden, it's, just, it's, a, it's a sell low, buy high strategy you've implemented based on your emotions. What's better to do, I, like, I love how these articles connect with one another, it's better to simply buy it all and not rebalance it on the equity side. You can buy ticker symbol VT, Victor Tango. It's a Vanguard ETF, 60-40, 60% U.S., 40% international, and be done. If you don't like that much international, you can use VXUS or VEU, of course, consult with your financial advisor or me before you implement any of these strategies. And you can do 80-20, 70-30. To me, the importance in international stocks is not that you're going to somehow outperform by having them. It's that you're going to be able to stick with your plan. 
it's going to enhance your portfolio's permanence to have international stocks. I think if you tell me you've got a 100-year hold and you'll, you guarantee you, you won't change anything, it's fine to be 100% U.S. I really think that. I did, but I know you're a human, and you're not just going to hold it. You're going to want exposure to things that are doing really well. It's a tale as old as time. People rotate into sectors and asset classes that have done well historically. People do not have predictive powers on what will do well in the future. So this is a reminder. Just own it all. Own it low cost. Own it simply. Sleep well at night. Don't spend a ton of time uh, rotating in and, out, in and out international. Don't spend a ton of time rebalancing. And then don't spend a ton, a ton of time chasing private business deals where you are not in your circle of competence to connect all these articles. You're going to be a better investor by keeping it simple and not asking a lot of yourself. The very best investors have things simply arranged and they don't ask a lot of themselves. They recognize their limitations. That, um, that's what's going to be best. As always, keep that investing simple. As always, keep that investing simple. Keep that time horizon long. Keep that time horizon long. And keep those expenses low. And keep those expenses low. That's what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey.